The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. What's up, West Pines? How are we doing? I got all this stuff I'm bringing in. Uh, so good to be here with you. Uh, Roby calls us his, our, your sister church. Uh, he should really call us your daughter church because you guys birthed us. He doesn't call us your daughter church because he doesn't want me to call him mom. But that's what I feel like. Thank you, Roby, wherever you are right now. Uh, mom, hey, it's always good to be here with you. Uh, I consider West Pines our church home away from home. We love what God's doing, love cheering you on from afar, and love the opportunity uh, to be with you for the next couple weeks as we dig into something I really believe, and this isn't pastor exaggeration, you know us pastors are prone to that, I really believe uh, that what we're going to talk about today, as simple as it is, has the power to radically transform your life, your small group, your children, this church this community, if we will just hear it and put it into practice. So if we could, I want to start uh, with a word of prayer. And we, at Crossway, we like to start with what we call palms up prayer. So we literally place our palms up like this before God in a physical action in which we say to God, God, our hearts are open, our hands are empty, our ears are listening. Whatever you have for us, we want to receive it. So if you feel comfortable all across this place, would you just close your eyes and place your palms up as we pray? Father, right now, Uh, Our palms are open to you because we want to receive from you. We have to receive from you. We need to hear from you. Today, what matters is not what I speak, but is what your word has spoken. And I pray, Lord God, that you would ignite in this place this morning a desire, a passion, a longing for your word, and that, God, you would mature us as your people to be people of the word of God. So grow us as disciples so that we can be a light to this community and so that, Lord God, we could see more and more lives transformed for the the name of Jesus Christ in Southwest Broward. We ask in the powerful name of Jesus and everyone together said, amen, amen. A few uh, years ago, I read a book called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Did any, anybody here read that book before, The Power of Habit? It's a fin, fin, fantastic book. It was a New York Times bestseller. He talks about how habits are formed and those sorts of things. But uh, what really stood out to me was something he talked about in chapter four of the book. It was a concept called keystone habits. Can everyone say those two words out loud with me? Keystone habits. And the idea of keystone habits is essentially this, that not all habits are created equal. In other words, there are some habits that have a disproportionate ability when you engage with them to start a chain reaction of other positive habits in your life. So envision with me, if you would, a a snowball on the top of a hill. I know that's hard for South Floridians to envision a snowball and a hill. Very difficult. We don't have those. But imagine sort of a snowball on the top of a hill in a cartoon sort of sense. You push the snowball down the hill, and as it rolls down the hill, what happens to the snowball? It gets what? It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That's the idea of a keystone habit. It's this chain reaction of other positive habits in our lives. In the book, he talks about a few examples. He gives one example. About 10 years ago, uh, there were researchers who were researching weight loss. And they asked the people that they were uh, working with that they would make a, a food journal one day a week. Has anyone ever had to do a food journal? It's not easy to write down everything you eat one day a week, believe it or not. So they started doing it, and a few of them, some of them in the study, didn't just do it one day a week. They started keeping a food journal every single day. Six months into the study, the researchers checked things out, and they found that the group of people who had created a habit of writing down their food journal every single day had lost twice as much weight as everybody else. 
Some of you are like, got some New Year's resolutions you need to work on? Just get that food journal going, right? Now, there's something about it. Here's what happened. The food journal served as this keystone habit that as they were thinking about what they were eating, suddenly they started to have other habits. Like they would go to the grocery store and shop more than they were shopping before. They would have other habits where they would cook ahead of time. They would bring food to work instead of just eating the cookies that everybody laid out. The, the, the food journaling was this keystone habit. Started this chain reaction of other positive habits in their life. I'll give you a couple other examples. Uh, one of them is eating at the dinner table as a family. Some of you have heard this before. Uh, research shows that when you start this habit of eating at the dinner table, children raised there have better homework skills, higher grades, greater emotional control, and more confidence. I'll give you one more. Making your bed every morning. In other words, your mama was right when she told you to make it. Making your, making your bed every morning. That habit has been shown to be correlated to better productivity, a greater sense of well-being, and I don't know how this works, but a stronger skills at sticking with your budget. So if you're trying to get that budget in line, start making your bed. It's an amazing thing how this works, Keystone Habits. Now, I was reading this a few years ago, and I started thinking, well, that's really cool when it comes to sticking with the budget and interesting with the family deal and if you want to lose weight and all that. But I started thinking, that's great, but what about a spiritual Keystone Habit? Could it be that there is a practice, so there are some practices in the spiritual life that when we engage them, when we lock them in, when we start moving them into our lives, that they actually create a chain reaction of other positive spiritual practices in our life that causes us to grow. And what I want to talk about today is what I believe is the spiritual keystone habit. And it's very, very simple. It's regularly reading the Word of God. It's something that we call at Crossway a word habit. Can you say that out loud with me? A what? A word habit. And what I want to do is I want to talk today from the scriptures of why I believe that this regular Bible reading is a spiritual keystone practice, practice, first from the text, and then from some research and some things that we did, and then then I want to teach you a very simple method of reading the Bible that I've taught to people who are brand new believers that I personally use, to people who have been Christians longer than I've been alive, and seen them uh, blossom through it, and then we're going to end our service today, our time together, with actually spending a few minutes engaging with the Bible individually in this space. So we have a lot to accomplish, so we're going to jump right in. The book of Psalms, chapter 1, verse 1. David writes this. He says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Now David is going to articulate for us what the blessed life looks like. The person on whom God's hand is, God's favor is, life of blessing. And he starts off with sort of the negative. He says, Blessed is the one who isn't swayed by the culture, who isn't influenced by the world around them. But he goes on to say, but there is another kind of influence in this person's life. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners that sit in the company of mockers. Verse 2, but, and I want you to notice this, whose delight is in the, what's that word? Say it out loud with me. Law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That sounds a little strange for us in 2019 to hear someone delighting in the law, right? Unless you're here and you're an attorney, and I'm sure there's a few attorneys in the room, most of us don't generally delight in the law, right? You know what I mean? Like most of you don't, because I just love the law. I love the state of Florida. It's just an amazing thing. Matter of fact, most of the time when we think about the law, it's in negative terms. Has anybody been pulled over recently? Show of hands. Don't raise your hand. If you don't raise your hand, God's watching you. You know he sees whether you... T- if you've ever been pulled over, you get pulled over and you see the little blue lights. Why did you get pulled over? Because you were breaking the 
law, right? And then when you get pulled over, you're sitting in their car, and it's such an awkward moment. You know, you're like a little kid getting in trouble, and the police officer comes up, license and registration. You give that to him or her, and then she gives you in return what? A little ticket with a fine. Why do you have to pay the fine? Because you broke the law. I don't know about you, but I've never been in a situation where after looking at the $250 fine, I drove away saying, I just love the law of the state of Florida. I delight in the law. Delight in it. It's never happened to me. It's probably never happened to you. Why does David say that the blessed person is someone who delights in the law? Well, he doesn't just say delights in the law of the state of Florida or the city of Pembroke Pines or the law of Los Estados Unidos. That's not what he's saying. He says delights in the law. Do you remember what he said? Of the who? Of the, of the Lord. The word law there in the Hebrew, which is, of course, Psalm was originally written in the Hebrew, is the word Torah. Can you say that with me? Torah. The word Torah represents the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, of our Bible. We call it the Old Testament, which are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Anyone know next one? All my Bible scholars on Deuteronomy, good. The first five books of the Bible. When, When David was writing this, the Torah was, at that time, the full written revelation of God. This is what they had. It was the the Torah. Now, I think you can take that same idea, of course, that David is writing, and if you fast forward to 2019, you could say in these terms, uh, blessed is the person who's not influenced by the culture, but his or her delight is in the Bible. This is an interesting question for you to ask, but do you delight in the Bible? Do you delight in the word word of God? If, if I were to gather a group of your friends, let's say I took five of your closest friends and family members, the people that really knew you, and we were to sit together in a conference room with a whiteboard, and I grabbed a marker out. I love whiteboards. Anybody else love whiteboards? They're great. And I grabbed a marker, and I said, okay, I want you to start listing for me the things that you, he or she, delights in. So five of your friends are starting to tell me the things that you delight in. What would make that list? Maybe some of you, it's, you know, they would say, oh, he delights in the Miami Dolphins. There's others of you, they might say, oh, she delights in the New England Patriots. By the way, if you're a Patriots fan and you delight in them, we're going to ask security to escort you out of the room. I'm just kidding. All right. Uh, others of you might say, well, he delights in his children, or she delights in her work, or if you're Cuban like me, half Cuban, you know, they delight in pastelitos. Anybody with me on that one? Can I get it? I mean, all right, there we go. Got some clapping going on. There'll be a lot of things that people would write. I just wonder if your friends were in that room and we had to make a list of things that you delight in, would there be anybody who would say, hold up, before you write anything down on that board, there's one thing that he delights in above them all. He delights in the word of God. Because the truth of the matter is people know what you delight in, right? And they know what I delight in. They know what we delight in because we talk about what we delight in. They know what we delight in because what we delight in makes it on our Insta story. They know what we delight in because we spend time with what we delight in. They know what we delight in because we spend money for what we delight in. What we delight in, people know about. Would we have enough of that sort of evidence of what we delight in to be indicted on the charge that we delight in the word of God? Because David says, if you want to be blessed, I mean, like, this is it. Delight in the word of the Lord. But it doesn't stop there. He says, the blessed person is the person who's not swayed by the culture, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And then he goes on to say this, and who meditates, can you say meditates, meditates on his law day and night. I think these two things are complementary, the idea of delighting and meditating day and night. I think what David is trying to get at is delighting is this more aspirational thing. There's this longing, there's this love, but meditating is sort of a practical thing. Do you know anybody in your life who delights in something aspirationally, but they don't actually live it out? So maybe you've got some friends who delight in sort of aspiration or theoretically delight in eating healthy, but they don't actually do it. 
They post on Facebook, this, you know, like all oh, the little posts on Facebook of a picture of, a, of an organic burger with a kale bun and like an egg from a chicken that they have in their backyard. You know that whole deal? And they post it like, oh, I just love eating healthy and all this. And then you're driving past Taco Bell and who's in the drive-thru except that same person? They delight in it like, oh, I delight, but they don't actually live it out. That's how a lot of Christians are when it comes to the Bible. If I were to say to you, man, we're sitting across the table at Starbucks, and I'm like, do you delight in the word of God? Man, if you've been a Christian longer than six months, your answer is, oh, yes, I do, pastor, absolutely. But David says the blessed person isn't just someone who delights aspirationally in the word of God, but the blessed person is someone who delights, and then he or she meditates on his law day and night. What does that idea of meditation mean? Well, in Eastern meditation, which is what we often think of, the goal of Eastern meditation is to empty your mind, right? To be just com completely clear. That's very different from the goal of Christian meditation. The goal of Christian meditation is not the emptying of your mind, it's the filling of your mind with the Word of God. And the idea of meditation here in this text is this idea of working something over and over in your mind. Like if you've ever given your dog a new bone and then your dog sitting there just kind of gnawing on it over and over and over all day. That's the idea of meditation in the text here. It's sort of like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, I used to be a worship leader, and uh, I used to write music. I'm not saying that any of it was very good, but I wrote a lot of music. And sometimes I'd wake up in the morning, and you'd wake up with an idea. And I'd write this little lyric idea or melody idea, and I'd write it down on a piece of paper. And then I'd be driving to work, and it would hit me, another melody. And so I'm driving to work, and I keep working on this song. Now, this is before the days of iPhones, so I can just pull out my voice memo. This is, and some of you people my age and older might remember those little mini cassette recorders. Does anybody remember? You had to push play and record at the same time. It took a lot of, you know, there you go. So that's me in my car, play and record, write that, you know, sing that little melody out. Then I'd be at work, and I'd be, just another idea to that song would come out, and I'd write it down. Then I'd be at home, laying in my bed, in that space, right before you fall asleep, you're waking asleep, and all that space, and all of a sudden, oh, another idea for the song. And all day long, I'd be working on that song. I'd be meditating on the song. That's the idea. Uh, David says, listen, the blessed life, the blessed person, is the person who delights in the law, yes, but also in a pragmatic way, on his law, he meditates, he thinks about, he reads, he processes day and night. This is part of who or he or she is. If I were to take those two ideas, somebody who delights in the law and meditates on it day and night, I would, in my language, say this person has what we like to call a word habit. I mentioned that earlier. This is someone who has a habit of regularly engaging with the scriptures. And David says this person is blessed. But he doesn't just say this person is blessed when this is part of their life. Notice how he poetically describes the reality of this person's life. That person who has a word habit is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. And then I love those next four words. Can you read them out loud with me? Whatever they do prospers. Isn't that beautiful? David here writing poetically the truth of God says, I've got to figure out how do I describe what happens to someone who has this word habit? And he goes, I got it, I got it. How about this? This person, it's like they're a tree planted right next to streams of water. And they start bearing fruit because of that connection to the water. They start bearing fruits in season and their leaf doesn't wither and whatever they do prospers. In other words, David says, if you want a, a word in essence to describe the person who's deeply engaged with the word of God, it's this word of flourishing. Now I think about that. I mean, think about what the text just said. This person is like a tree planted by streams of water, bearing fruit in season. Their leaf doesn't wither. Whatever they do prospers. And I don't know if there's anybody in this room who hears that and reads that and thinks to themselves, 
I don't need that. <laughs> I don't need that to describe me. No, I'm good. I don't have to have that whole bearing fruit in season thing. I'm good. I don't have to have that whole whatever they do prosperous thing. I'm good. I don't need, no, no. There's not anybody in this room. I think if you're honest, everybody in this room, when you think about your life and how someone would describe your life and someone would talk about you, when you read that, you say, yeah, that's what I want. I want to be a person like that who's bearing the fruit of the Spirit in good times and bad times. I want to be a person like that whose leaf doesn't wither. It's not in the difficulty that they wither, but they actually stand up strong and continue to pursue the Lord. I want to be the person that someone describes my life. They say that person is a, has a life where the hand of God, the blessing of God is on their life. I think everybody in this room says, that's what I'm after. And David says, you can have that. And here's what it is. got to be that person who says, I'm going to delight in the word of God. And I'm going to meditate on his law day and night. A word, habit. So why do I believe that a word habit is a spiritual keystone habit? One from the book of Psalms. I think it's pretty clear there. But not just in the book of Psalms. It's actually in research. So there's, believe it or not, there's researchers who study this kind of stuff, like discipleship and growing spiritually. And uh, one of the studies was done by a guy by the name of Brad Wagner for his book, The Shape of Faith to Come. And they did a, a study in which they looked at spiritual health. They studied people's spiritual health, and they looked at 60 different characteristics of spiritually healthy people, a prayer, giving, using their gifts, that sort of thing. And then they did like a rank-ordered list. And they said, we're going we're gonna to have a rank-ordered list to see which practices, spiritual practices, are most highly correlated to high levels of spiritual maturity. And here's what Brad Wagner writes. He says this, the number one factor or characteristic most correlated to the highest maturity scores, the highest spiritual maturity scores in the people they were working with, is the practice of reading the Bible. In other words, the book of Psalms is right. That's what he was saying. In other words, God got it right. He goes on to say this, and this is interesting. We put a whole lot of time and energy into preparing sermons, as we should. But we make a huge mistake if we think our sermons, regardless of their quality, are enough to create sustained life transformation or sanctification in the lives of our fellow believers. Our people need daily exposure to the life-transforming power of God through his revealed word, a word habit, right? Now, I think this is really interesting. Because he says, we make a huge mistake if we think our sermons, regardless of their quality, are enough to create sustained life transformation. The reason I think this is interesting for you is because you happen to be in a church where every single week when Pastor Roby comes up or others come up, you have really high quality sermons here. Now, I don't just say this because he's my friend. He is my friend. But as an objective observer, you have been, I'll just say this, you have been blessed with the lead pastor who doesn't just walk up and go, I wonder what I'm going to talk about this morning. No, like hours of study, hours of prayer, hours of thinking so that every single week you can hear quality sermons that challenge you and inspire you and call you to grow. I and mean, that is a huge blessing as a church. But here's the deal. Let's give it up, by the way. I got a little whistle in the back. That sounds good. As true as that is, and he knows this is why we're talking about it, as true as that is, that God has blessed you with an incredibly gifted pastor, as true as that is, what we need, what you need, what I need, what we all need, isn't just sermons that encourage us on Sundays. Yes, we need that, but we need that daily life transformation from the word of God. Missiologist 
Uh, Ed Stetzer says this, Bible engagement has an impact in just about every area of spiritual growth. In other words, when you start this keystone habit, it starts a chain reaction of other areas of spiritual growth in your life. Now, I saw this in the text a couple years ago from Psalm 1. I see this in the research, and I said I wanted to, for my doctoral dissertation, I wanted to work on the impact of Bible reading on infrequent Bible readers. In other words, what I wanted to do is I wanted to study this concept like lived out boots on the ground in South Florida. And so what we did at Crossway is we took a group of people who are infrequent Bible readers. And we identified that as somebody who reads the Bible outside of Sunday less than three times a month. So there's many of you who are sitting here might say, well, John, that's me, infrequent Bible readers. And what we did was we took them through a process, taught them the SOAP method of Bible reading, which I'll teach you in a little bit. And we challenged them to read one chapter of the Bible a day, five days a week for nine weeks. And so what we did was we call it a mixed method approach. So we had quantitative measurements and qualitative measurements. Quantitative is sort of the data measurements. Qualitative is more stories. And so here's what we did with quantitative. We took a spiritual health assessment called the Transformational Discipleship Assessment. You don't have to remember that. But we took a spiritual health assessment, and we had everybody take the assessment. And it graded them, gave them a score on nine different characteristics of spiritual health. Things like your score in prayer. How are you doing in prayer? How are you doing in sharing the faith with others? How are you doing in your biblical knowledge? Nine different scores of spiritual health. And it ranked them like this. Each category got a score. It was red which is the no evidence or limited evidence of spiritual growth. That's from 0 to 1.9, that score. Then yellow was some evidence of spiritual growth from 2 to 3.9. And then if they got from 4 to 5 in that category, it was green, which was consistent evidence of spiritual growth. Now, what, of course, you want as a growing disciple is you want everything in the green, like all nine categories in the green. So we did a pretest with them before we did nine weeks of study. And I want to show you the results of the pretest. Take a look on the screen. Here's what we got. Uh, 29% of the people's scores was in the green range. 63, the big majority, was in the yellow range, which is some evidence. And uh, 8% was in the red range, which is little evidence. So these are people who are coming to church. They're hearing sermons. Some of them are involved in serving teams and small groups. And most of them were right there in that sort of yellow, some evidence of spiritual growth range. Well, after nine weeks, we did this for nine weeks. They're reading the Bible and doing the SOAP method. We did the test again. So we did a post-test. And here are the scores in the post-test. I think they're really interesting. If you take a look on the screen, it moved from 29% in the green range to 63%, and then 35%, and then 1%. Now, here's what I find really interesting about that. This was just nine weeks, right? Like, we're just two months. So I had people, some who had never read the Bible before, some who had tried to read the Bible, but it had been tough for them. And in nine weeks, we saw this really significant difference in their spiritual health and their spiritual vitality in all these different categories of spiritual health. Now, some of you hear that and like, wow, that's great. And others of you hear that and are like, numbers? Who cares about numbers? We're in church. Like, why does that even matter? And that's why we did not just quantitative study. We also did a qualitative study, which meant that after we were done, I sat down with each of them and I just asked them their stories. Tell me about how God has changed your life through these nine weeks. And I'd love to share a few of the stories with you. Would that be cool? Because I want you to hear how this keystone habit of reading scripture started to inform and change and grow people in all these other different ways. They started bearing fruit in other areas of their life. Here's one of the stories that someone shared. I heard this a lot, people having a growing awareness of God's presence. One woman said this when we talked, oh, honestly, every single day I think about him being God. Before, it wasn't necessarily like that. I'm always finding a reason now to be thankful and not just be like, oh, that was awesome. But no, God did this. So I feel like everywhere I look now, he's around. Isn't that beautiful? 
here's this person who's like, they were coming to church. They were doing the thing, right? They're doing the Christian thing. But all of a sudden, she starts engaging with the Bible, and she's like, I just see God's hand everywhere now in my life. I see the presence of God in places I didn't see it before. Another thing that we saw as we talked to people is a resurgence of prayer in their lives. This is what one guy said. He said, I can honestly say that I pray a lot more now since starting this. Since I started this, like maybe two or three weeks in, every morning I wake up and I lean over and put my hand on my wife and I pray for her. Then I have a 45-minute drive on the way to work. For a couple minutes, I'll turn the radio off and then pray for her, pray for us, pray for whatever. And then he said this, I never really did this before. That's one thing that I've noticed that I've started doing, not out of any, I should do this more. It just started. He works in the medical profession. As we were talking about this, he went on to say, I go to work now, and right before I go in to see my patient, I begin to pray for them in my heart. And he says, I never did that before. No one told him to do that. It's just that as he started delighting in the law of the Lord, meditating on his law day and night, he started bearing fruit in this area of prayer in his life. Can I share two more with you? One of them was a desire to share Jesus. I found this to be really interesting. Engagement with the Bible caused people to be more bold in their evangelism. One guy, he was a new believer, said this, the more I read it, the Bible, the more I go down this path. I feel more empowered. And you know, the more I know about it, the Bible, the more comfortable I am talking about it. So I'm much more likely now to want to or look for reasons to engage in conversations about faith with others than before because I would have avoided it. It's a touchy subject for a lot of people, so I would have just avoided it. Now I look for those opportunities. Isn't that beautiful? One last one. This is from a woman who had tried to read, she'd been a Christian for a long time, uh, off and on. She'd tried to read the Bible, and it kind of failed, and this sort of thing. And, and she had a hard time with her perspective on the Bible. And I saw this a lot with people, that as they started to engage the Bible regularly, it actually changed how they viewed the Scriptures. Here's what she said. She said, before, before this nine weeks, it's not that long, before nine weeks of reading the Scripture, I would say it, the Bible, was very intimidating. I mean, it's a large book with a lot of information. A lot of different language that we typically don't use. And then she says, it used to be intimidating, whereas now I would say that it's inviting. I love that. From intimidating to inviting. In other words, what we begin to see is that the words of Psalm 1 are true, that the research bears itself out, that when you become, no matter where you are spiritually, somebody who regularly engages with the Bible, like it will change your spiritual life. And you begin to grow in areas that you hadn't grown in before. Now, in years past, I would have done this message, and I would have shared some stuff from the book of Psalms. I might have shared some stuff with research, and then I would end it with this, like, big rally, and now everybody, go out and read your Bible, and the crowd would go, ah, yes, we'll go do it. And then what happens to a lot of people, I don't know, ah, you guys don't do that very much here, maybe a crossword, ah. Anyway, so what happens with a lot of people is that they get one of those sermons, like, I should read my Bible, and some of this has happened to you, and then you get home, and you're like, okay, uh, what do I do? And that enthusiasm that you had as you were driving home just kind of fizzles out. And so what I want to do is I want to take a minute to teach you a very, very simple method of Bible reading. Now, I've taught this to people who are brand new believers. I've taught this to people who have been Christians for a long time. This is the method that I use. And I want to teach it to you uh, because I know that there are a lot of people in this room who can use it. Because I know some of you are thinking, John, you know you're preaching at West Pines, right? We are disciples. We are mathetes of Jesus. We are all in. So you're telling us about reading the Bible. Don't you know we all read the Bible? And here's the thing. I've been a Christian since I was a really young kid, and I've been a pastor for a long time. I know not all of us read the Bible regularly. Matter of fact, just in a moment of straight-up honesty, there was a season in my life where I was working full-time at a church, 
And I was working on my master's degree full time at the same time. And I was teaching the Bible. And I was leading worship, singing scriptures. And I was in school studying systematic theology. And honestly, my personal time with the Lord was hardly any. And sometimes I'm embarrassed about that. I'm like, man, what a lame pastor I was. <laughs> Here I was studied. And, but the truth is, it doesn't matter who you are, how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter what your title is. This is something easily we can put on the back shelf. So I want to call you into it. I want to call us as a church into it. To this be a defining mark of the mathetase at West Pines Community Church that we're engaged with the scriptures. Now I want to teach you what's a real simple method called the SOAP method. Everyone say the SOAP method. This is created by a guy, Dr. Wayne Cordero in Hawaii. And I want to walk you through it. It's super simple. There's three things you need before you get started. First, you need a Bible. Okay, that might sound obvious, but if you don't have a Bible, you need one. The translation that you use at West Pines is called the English Standard Version, the ESV. Now pick one of those up, but even better, if you're someone who reads on your screen or your iPad or your, or your iPhone, uh, you can download the Version Bible app. Y-U-O-U, Version Bible app, absolutely free. You can get the English Standard Version there. So first thing you need is you need a Bible. The second thing you need is a journal and a pen. Everyone say a journal and a pen. Let's say it, a journal and a pen. A word to the men for a moment. A lot of guys, when they hear the idea of getting a journal, they automatically bristle. And I think the reason why is guys have this vision of a journal, like this pink little diary with a lock on the end, you know. They just kind of vision like the passage. I got to write, dear diary, somebody hurt my feelings at work today. So if you're a dude and you're like, no, I don't do that kind of journaling stuff, just to be clear. That's not what we're talking about, okay? You don't have to. I mean, if you got your feelings hurt, you can write it if you want to. But that's not what we're doing here. What we're going to do is we're going to use our journal as sort of a field notes. This is going to be a place where we record what God has spoken to us as we've read his word. Because this is going to be a record of the voice of God in our lives. It's a beautiful thing to see over the years as you hold on to these, how God has spoken to you. As a matter of fact, I have here with me, this is a journal, a Bible reading journal that I started 20 years ago. This is from 1990. Some of you weren't even born that long. 1999. uh, This was a journal that I started uh, working on. I wasn't using the soap method back then. But here's why I bring this out. I bring this out because I think it's pretty cool. Like 20 years ago, I was reading the Word of God. But I think there's some of you here who have never read the Bible for yourself outside of a Sunday morning. And I'm praying, and I believe that you're going to start engaging in this. And some of you are not just going to engage in this for like up till Easter. and kind. You're going to, like this is going to be a rhythm of your life. And I believe that some of you 20 years from now, are going to pull out a dusty old little binder or something on your app on your phone, and you're going to say, I remember 20 years ago when this pastor came and challenged us to read the Word of God. And look, like I started doing it in 2019, and I'm still doing it today. Like I believe that there's some of you here who God's going to have that kind of grip on your life through Scripture engagement. So you need a Bible, you need a journal and a pen or Evernote, which is what I use on my app, the apps. And the third thing that you need is a plan. Everyone say a plan. Here's why you need a plan. A lot of people, when they start trying to read the Bible, they get this idea, I'm going to do it, I'm going to read the Bible, and they get their Bible out, and they do what I like to call Bible roulette. They open up the Bible, they're like, boom, wherever it opens up, there it is. And usually, it opens up to some crazy passage in Leviticus about an ox falling into a pit and breaking its leg, and you're like, I don't even have an ox, what is that? And then you close it up, guess this Bible reading thing ain't for me, right? So, like, you need a plan. You need a plan. I need a plan. Some of you are like, I've been there. You've, had, you've read that passage in Leviticus. We all need a plan, okay? So I want to walk you through a really simple plan. At West Pines, you have a Bible reading plan on your chair. I want you to bring this out with me. Uh, it's a little bookmark, okay? And on the back, it says Bible reading plan, and it shows you're going to start reading through the book of John, and then you're going to read through the book of Acts. 
All they're going to lead up, up to Easter through the book of John, the book of Acts. A very simple way for you to engage with this. We've already set this up. If you have your phone, feel free to text the number, the word WPCC, West Pines Community Church, WPCC, to 97000. WPCC to 97000. And every day, every weekday, for the next few weeks, through this reading plan, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you'll be texted a little reminder of the passage of Scripture that you're supposed to read, starting the book of John. Super easy. Just wake up, boom, there it is. And it'll be right there on your phone. So you need a Bible. You need a journal and a pen. And you need a plan. And here's what you're going to do. I'm going to walk through it. Uh, the other piece of paper on your seat is this little uh, word habit page. I want you to take that out. And I want you to see what's written here. The front of the page starts the acronym of SOAP. Okay, So SOAP starts with the letter S. And the letter S represents the word scripture. Can everyone say scripture? Here's what you're going to do. You're going to read a portion of scripture. Tomorrow it will be John 1. You read a portion of scripture and you're going to pick out one verse that jumps out to you. One verse that creates an aha moment. One verse that just penetrates your heart. And then you're going to write it down in your journal. S stands for scripture. Now I know some of you overachievers are like, but John, one verse. There's so many amazing verses in the chapter. And that's awesome because there are. But unless you have the entire day to work through that entire chapter, just pick one verse, okay? Because you'll have time to work through one verse. It's better to remember and study and think about and process and apply one verse than have this kind of feeling over 25 verses. The second thing I'll say about the one verse thing is to those of you who have never read the Bible before, some of you here, God's going to get a hold of your heart. You're going to engage this for the first time, and I'd love to know about how that goes. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to read a portion of Scripture. This, this will happen. I don't want you to be surprised. You'll read maybe John 1, and you will not understand 85% of it. You go there like, I don't get any of this. But here's the thing. Here's the beauty of this one verse thing. You don't have to understand the whole thing. Just pick out one verse. Just you're reading. Just look at one verse. You write it down. So write down. S stands for scripture. Then you flip over your page on your seats. O stands for observation. Everyone say observation. observation. Super simple. You're just going to write in your own words, what's this verse mean? What's the big idea? What's God trying to say here? And you summarize, this is what this verse means in your own words. So S stands for scripture. O stands for observation. A stands for application. Can you say that with me? Application. This is where the rubber meets the road. We do not want to be a community of faith that knows a whole lot about the Bible but doesn't live it. Application is us listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and saying, in light of what I've just read, in light of the truth revealed in this particular text, how do I do? How do I live it? What do I need to do with it? How can, what do I need to believe differently? What do I need to do differently this week? And then you write it down. This is personal to you. So S stands for scripture. O stands for observation. A stands for application. And P stands for prayer. Can you say that with me? Prayer. And prayer is really simple. This is a first-person prayer to God. You to God. Father, help strengthen me to live this out. Father, help me love my neighbor more. Father, help me believe this to be true. Uh, and confess your sins. Whatever you need to write in that first-person prayer, this is between you and God, a prayer in response to what you just read. Now let's walk through it one more time. S stands for what? O stands for? A stands for? P stands for? You can do this. So here's what we're going to do. On that little paper you have, you have a pen on your seat as well. We're going to take five minutes. Five minutes. We're going to create sacred space. This is going to be sacred ground. And what I want you to do is there's a passage printed in the book of James. And I want you to take the next five minutes, and you're going to read through that passage. You're going to pick out one verse that stands out to you in Scripture. You're going to write down your observation. You're going to write down an application in the first person prayer. And you're going to hear God speak to you this morning through his word. 
Now, some of you have already started because you are type A, but I'm going to pray. And I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to speak through His Word, to illuminate the Word of God to us this morning. And then I'm going to give you five minutes, and I'll come back and we'll close. Holy Spirit, we need you. This isn't just some exercise that we do, some sort of scientific exercise. This is a work of your Spirit. So illuminate the Word of God to us. Illuminate the Word of God. Let, let us see it clearly. I pray that right now, across this room, as my brothers and sisters are reading and studying and thinking and processing through, that there would be some who even this morning, you speak to them through, speak to them through one of the words of this, this text, God. We believe that you're here, that you're alive. So would you do this sacred space in Jesus' name. For the next five minutes, take time to read. If you're done, don't go on your phone. Don't start surfing Instagram. Just spend some time in prayer if you're done. They're going to continue to play quietly, and I'll come back up in five minutes to close. So how'd it go? So some of you, maybe this is the first time outside of uh, hearing someone preach the Word of God that you've actually read it and studied it for yourself. Some of you finished. Some of you might need to work on that tonight and finish up. That was just about five minutes. Uh, but here's our challenge. Take that, right? Like, take what you just did, that idea. And start this journey with us over the next couple of months. Starting tomorrow, John chapter 1, John chapter 2. Just kind of walk through the Gospel of John. Take that chapter a day. Do your soap. And then we would love to know what God does in your heart with it. So, like, through this process over the next couple of weeks, if you're like, man, like, this is lit something in my heart, or this is God's show this, or this is really working well for us, shoot us an email. Let us know. Wordhabit at westpines.org. We would love to hear the stories of what God is doing. Wordhabit at westpines.org. Here's what I'll close with. What if we took the Word of God at face value? Like, what if we really believed that what David writes in Psalm 1 is true? That the person, that the man or the woman, that the stay-at-home mom and the business guy, that the orthodontist and the accountant and the teacher, what if all of us, right, if we delighted in the law of the Lord, and we meditated on His law, day, like, what if the Word of God is true, and we really would see in our lives that we would be like a tree planted by streams of water, and what if the, the reality of our lives is that we would bear spiritual fruit in season, and that our leaf would wither, and then what if, West Pine, it's true that whatever we would do would prosper because of this beautiful rhythm of listening to the Word of God. I just want to say, like, if we started, some of we're going to start it today, like, what might God spark in your heart that sparks in the heart of your child and of your friend and this community and South Florida as a whole? I believe God can do it. Let's engage with Him. Let's follow hard after Him. Amen, West Pines. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954 432 0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org